0: Unit 1, Part 1, Page 5, Exercise C, Vocabulary.
1: A. I was surprised by some of the responses that people wrote on the wall.
2: B. This is a very private issue, so I don't talk about it with other people very often. C.
1: She is very shy and does not like to speak in public.
2: D. He is depressed because his mother is really sick and his father died just a few months ago. E.
1: Some of the responses were kind of silly. For example, one person just wanted to eat a lot of chocolate.
2: F. Other responses seemed a bit selfish. For example, one person wanted a big boat. Another person wanted to live in a house that cost $500,000.
1: G. It is really heartbreaking to see houses in the neighborhood falling down and my neighbors moving away. It makes me very sad.
2: H. We have neighborhood parties in the summer, which help bring everyone in the community together.
1: I. If you like the idea of leaving messages on a wall, you can start a similar wall in your own community.
2: J. After she collected data from all the walls in all of the different countries, she realized there were more than 100,000 responses.
0: Page 6. Exercise E. Listen for Main Ideas.
3: Good morning, everyone. Last week, we read about how artist Candy Chang's Before I Die project began. Chang was feeling very unhappy because a friend had just died. She was also depressed about the poor condition of her neighborhood. So, she started her wall project. Some of the responses she got were silly. Some were full of hope. Some were heartbreaking. From the responses, Chang understood that her project was meaningful for other people. Her wall became very popular, and soon other people began to create similar walls. This is one of my favorite responses. Before I die, I want to teach kids to live, love, and be free. Which ones do you like?
4: I liked this one. Before I die, I want to know what I want.
5: A few of them were silly, such as, I want to eat strawberry cake. But there were so many good ones, it was hard for me to choose.
3: That's true. There were a lot of interesting ones. Did you find any patterns in the responses? What do you think, Anna?
6: It seemed as if the responses were about a few basic topics.
3: I agree, Anna. What were some of these general topics?
6: A lot of them were about helping other people and making the world better. Exactly. Like the one about wanting to help a million people? And I want to make people smile. Matteo, what do you think?
5: I am not so sure. A lot of them were about what people wanted for themselves, for example. I want to be famous, or I want to make a million dollars. Aren't those kind of selfish?
4: Yes, that's true, Matteo. A lot of people wanted something, but many of them wanted love and happiness, not money or things for themselves. For instance, I want to love and be loved,
6: and I want to spend a lifetime with you. Those are not selfish. A chapter at the end of Chang's book gives some data about the responses. Nineteen percent of the responses were about love. Travel was really popular, too. One response said, I want to ride a motorcycle to South America, or I want to travel the world with my friends.
3: That's very interesting, Anna. Why do you think the responses were about just a few basic topics? Maybe they just showed different parts of what it means to be human. Absolutely. Chang's website reports that there have been more than 1,000 walls in 36 languages in 73 countries. At the beginning of class, I said that Chang had done something meaningful. What do you think? Why do you think the walls are
5: so popular? Mateo? I think people write on the walls because it makes them feel better, especially if they share something that is sad or painful. What do you think, Mika?
4: I am not so sure that is the reason. I think it has a bigger purpose. It can connect people in a community. Sometimes we don't even talk to our neighbors. The wall lets you talk to everyone and listen to everyone.
3: Exactly, Mika. It can really help people understand and trust each other.
5: Maybe it's both of those things. Sharing our feelings with others makes us feel better, but it also builds connections among people in the community. True. That makes sense, Mateo.
4: And the wall builds those connections with people we
6: don't even know, people we probably will never meet. Right, Anna? I don't think so. I don't think that explains it. I don't really understand why people want to share these private feelings with strangers.
5: That's my point. The walls are popular because sometimes it is easier to share them in public with strangers. That's a good point, Matteo.
0: Page seven, exercise F. Listen for examples. Segment one.
3: Good morning, everyone. Last week, we read about how artist Candy Chang's Before I Die project began. Chang was feeling very unhappy because a friend had just died. She was also depressed about the poor condition of her neighborhood. So she started her wall project. Some of the responses she got were silly, some were full of hope, some were heartbreaking. From the responses, Chang understood that her project was meaningful for other people. Her wall became very popular, and soon other people began to create similar walls. This is one of my favorite responses. Before I die, I want to teach kids to live, love, and be free. Which ones do you like?
4: I liked this one. Before I die, I want to know what I want.
5: A few of them were silly, such as, I want to eat strawberry cake. But there were so many good ones, it was hard for me to choose. That's true. There were a lot of interesting ones.
3: Did you find any patterns in the responses? What do you think, Anna? It
6: seemed as if the responses were about a few basic topics.
3: I agree, Anna. What were some of these general topics?
6: A lot of them were about helping other people and making the world better. Exactly. Like the one about wanting to help a million people? And I want to make people smile. Mateo, what do you think?
5: I am not so sure. A lot of them were about what people wanted for themselves. For example, I want to be famous or I want to make a million dollars. Aren't those kind of selfish?
4: Yes, that's true, Mateo. A lot of people wanted something, but many of them wanted love and happiness, not money or things for themselves. For instance, I want to love and be loved. And I want to spend a lifetime with you.
6: Those are not selfish. A chapter at the end of Chang's book gives some data about the responses. Nineteen percent of the responses were about love. Travel was really popular, too. One response said, I want to ride a motorcycle to South America, or I want to travel the world with my friends.
3: That's very interesting, Anna. Why do you think the responses were
5: about just a few basic topics? Maybe they just showed different parts of what it means to be human. Absolutely.
0: Page 8. Exercise G. Listen for
3: details. Segment 2. Chang's website reports that there have been more than 1,000 walls in 36 languages in 73 countries. At the beginning of class, I said that Chang had done something meaningful. What do you think? Why do you think the walls are so popular?
5: Mateo? I think people write on the walls because it makes them feel better, especially if they share something that is sad or painful. What do you think, Mika?
4: I am not so sure that is the reason. I think it has a bigger purpose. It can connect people in a community. Sometimes we don't even talk to our neighbors. The wall lets you talk to everyone and listen to everyone.
3: Exactly, Mika. It can really help people understand and trust each other.
5: Maybe it's both of those things. Sharing our feelings with others makes us feel better, but it also builds connections among people in the community. True. That makes sense, Mateo.
4: And the wall builds those connections with people we don't
6: even know, people we probably will never meet. Right, Anna? I don't think so. I don't think that explains it. I don't really understand why people want to share these private feelings with strangers.
5: That's my point. The walls are popular because sometimes it is easier to share them in public with strangers. That's a good point, Mateo.
0: Page 11. Exercise J.
5: 1. I think people write on the walls because it makes them feel better.
4: I am not so sure that is the reason. I think it has a bigger purpose. 2. The wall lets you talk to everyone and listen to everyone.
3: Exactly, Mika. It can really help people understand and trust each other. 3.
5: 3. Sharing our feelings with others makes us feel better, but it also builds connections among people in the community. True. That makes sense, Mateo. Four. The wall
6: builds those connections with people we don't even know. I don't think so. I don't think that explains it.
5: Five. The walls are popular because sometimes it is easier to share them in public with strangers. That's a good point, Matteo.
0: Page 12. Pronunciation skill. Stress content words.
3: Chang was feeling very unhappy because a friend had died.
0: Page 12. Exercise L.
6: I don't really understand why people want to share these private feelings with strangers.
5: That's my point. The walls are popular because sometimes it is easier to share them in public with strangers. That's a good point, Matteo.
0: Part 2. Page 14. Exercise C. Vocabulary.
7: A. The competition organizer chose a winner randomly from thousands of entries.
6: B. The suicide note was really shocking. We could not believe that she wanted to take her own life.
7: C. He has received countless postcards and emails about his project. He stopped counting them after the first thousand.
6: D. You can call or write anonymously and give your opinion. You do not have to give your name.
7: E. We want to preserve the beautiful old homes in our community. If we do not, they will disappear.
6: F. The handwriting on these two postcards is obviously very different. You can see this difference right away.
7: G. The class project really allowed students to demonstrate their creativity. Some students drew pictures, and others wrote poems about their neighborhood.
6: H. After the fire, the remains of the home were just a few burned pieces of furniture.
7: I. A neighbor ran into the burning house and saved the children. The community praised her heroism.
6: J. This whole community arts project was an experiment. We did not know how it would play out.
0: Unit 2, Part 1, Page 25, Exercise B,
1: Vocabulary. A. Before the flooding, government leaders did not believe that climate change was real. Now, they are finally taking it seriously.
2: B. Some cities have already made plans for climate change. Unfortunately, other cities have barely started their preparations. They need to do more now.
1: C. Seawalls can give cities on the coast some protection against floods.
2: D. Scientists predict that by the year 2100, the sea level will rise by up to 5 feet.
1: E. One city with no natural lakes has built an artificial lake. The new lake can hold a lot of rainwater during heavy storms.
2: F. You can read about climate change in documents prepared by the United Nations.
1: G. Many countries agreed to reduce pollution, but without a plan of action, it was mainly a symbolic gesture.
2: H. Loss of sea ice has dangerous consequences, such as more frequent floods.
1: I. There has been a dramatic increase in the number of floods in the last 10 years, up 50 percent.
2: J. At the current rate of increase, there will be more floods in the future.
0: Page 26. Exercise D. Listen for main ideas.
5: Take a look
8: at this photo. It shows the Maldives Islands, the lowest, flattest country on Earth. The Maldives are in the warm waters of the Indian Ocean. More than a million tourists visit the Maldives every year. In our class, we've talked a lot about climate change, but many people are getting kind of tired of the topic. Why aren't we taking it seriously? Maybe because most of the impact of climate change is in the future. It's easy not to think about the effects, but to the people of the Maldives, the effects are already very real. Most of the Maldives are barely above sea level, just about seven feet. Any increase in the sea level could lead to dangerous floods. So the government took three steps to protect the country and its population. First, the government built an 11.5 foot high wall around Malé, the country's capital. The wall gave the city some protection from a tsunami in 2004. But there was still a lot of flooding. 88 people died and more than 10,000 people lost their homes as a result of the floods. But without the wall, it would have been much worse. Scientists predict that global warming will cause the sea level to rise between three and five feet by the end of this century. Next time, the people of Malé may not be so lucky. But the Maldivian government is not waiting for the next tsunami. It has built an artificial island about ten feet above sea level. The island has a hospital, schools, shops, and homes. The government hopes that one day in the future, more than 100,000 people will live there. Maldivian President Mohamed Nasheed knows that he cannot protect his country by himself. Because he wanted to get the world's attention, Nasheed held the world's first underwater governmental meeting. In the meeting, Maldivian leaders signed a document pleading with world leaders to work together against climate change. However, it was mostly a symbolic action and may not result in much change. The Maldives will be the first to feel the impact of climate change. For these islands, even a small change in sea level may have serious consequences. But what if all the ice melted? This was a question the folks at National Geographic recently asked. Naturally, the sea level would go up, and by a lot. Scientists predict that it would rise by about 216 feet, about the height of a 20-story building. What would our world look like with all that extra seawater? This map shows that it would be very, very different For one thing, the Maldives would be gone forever. This map shows what part of Asia might look like if all the ice melted. In China, cities on the coast, home to 600 million people today, would disappear. These predictions may seem dramatic. All of our ice is probably not going to melt, at least not soon. At its current rate, Scientists think that it would take about 5,000 years. However, we are already seeing the effects of higher sea levels. These changes have real consequences for ordinary people like us.
0: Page 27. Exercise E. Listen for details. Segment 2.
8: First, the government built an 11.5 foot high wall around Malé, the country's capital. The wall gave the city some protection from a tsunami in 2004. But there was still a lot of flooding. 88 people died and more than 10,000 people lost their homes as a result of the floods. But without the wall, it would have been much worse. Scientists predict that global warming will cause the sea level to rise between three and five feet by the end of this century. Next time, the people of Malay may not be so lucky. But the Maldivian government is not waiting for the next tsunami. It has built an artificial island about 10 feet above sea level. The island has a hospital, schools, Shops and homes, the government hopes that one day in the future, more than 100,000 people will live there. Maldivian President Mohamed Nasheed knows that he cannot protect his country by himself. Because he wanted to get the world's attention, Nasheed held the world's first underwater governmental meeting. In the meeting, Maldivian leaders signed a document pleading with world leaders to work together against climate change. However, it was mostly a symbolic action and may not result in much change.
0: Page 28. Exercise F. Listen for details. Segment 3.
8: The Maldives will be the first to feel the impact of climate change. For these islands, even a small change in sea level may have serious consequences. But what if all the ice melted? This was a question the folks at National Geographic recently asked. Naturally, the sea level would go up, and by a lot. Scientists predict that it would rise by about 216 feet about the height of a 20-story building. What would our world look like with all that extra seawater? This map shows that it would be very, very different. For one thing, the Maldives would be gone forever. This map shows what part of Asia might look like if all the ice melted. In China, cities on the coast, home to 600 million people today, would disappear. These predictions may seem dramatic. All of our ice is probably not going to melt, at least not soon. At its current rate, scientists think that it would take about 5,000 years. However, we are already seeing the effects of higher sea levels. These changes have real consequences for ordinary people like
4: us.
0: Page 31, pronunciation skill, reduced vowels. And page 31, exercise K.
4: The Maldives are in the beautiful warm waters of the Indian Ocean. It looks like a nice place to visit, doesn't it? A lot of people think so. More than a million tourists visit the Maldives every year.
0: Page 31, exercise L.
4: In our class, we've talked a lot about climate change. But many people are getting kind of tired of the topic. Why don't we take it more seriously? Maybe because most of the impact of climate change is in the future, it's easy not to think about the effects. But to the people of the Maldives, the effects are already very real.
0: Part 2, page 33 Exercise C. Vocabulary
7: A. He gasped for air because the cold temperature made it difficult to breathe.
6: B. Air and water expand when they get hotter.
7: C. After months of training, he was mentally exhausted and could not think anymore.
6: D. Everyone was very emotional when they saw that the orphaned polar bear cubs had died. Some people were crying.
7: E. The Arctic is one of the coldest regions on Earth.
6: F. The beauty of the ice drew many tourists to the Arctic last year.
7: G. After a few minutes in Arctic conditions, your hands and feet become numb. You can't feel anything.
6: H. The sea is likely to rise more than 200 feet. Just to put that in perspective, 200 feet is about the height of a 20-story building.
7: I. As the climate gets warmer, the glaciers begin to retreat. The Columbia Glacier in Alaska has shrunk by over 9 miles in the last 25 years.
6: J. The balloon became larger and larger until finally it burst.
0: Unit 3, Part 1, Page 45, Exercise B, Vocabulary. One.
4: Many people did not understand the significance of the discovery, but Spencer realized that it could lead to big changes in our lives.
3: Two. Some people have a talent for understanding mechanical things. They enjoy fixing cars and other machines. 3.
4: When I have to really concentrate on my work, I tune out everything else that is going on around me.
3: 4. The noisy students in the library were annoying, but I was able to finish my assignment anyway. 5.
4: There are many potential uses for this new technology, but it will take time to develop it.
3: 6. Engineers are capable of looking at a problem from several different perspectives. 7.
4: The project took a long time, but we eventually finished it.
3: 8. The theme for this year's conference is, Discoveries in the New Century. 9.
4: We need to focus on this task for now. We can't start thinking about the next one yet.
3: 10. The work of many different scientists contributed to this invention. In a way, it was a team effort, not the work of a single inventor.
0: Page 47, Exercise E. Listen for Main Ideas.
1: And welcome back to Conversations. Today's theme,
2: Chance. Actually, the show is really about serendipity.
1: Serendipity?
2: Right. Serendipity. In other words, discovering something or something happening by chance. Something good, that is.
1: Like the guy who invented the microwave.
2: Exactly. For the folks who don't know this story. Back in 1939, a scientist named Percy Spencer was working with microwave technology for a government project. One day, he noticed that a chocolate bar in his pocket had completely melted he realized that the microwaves had done it. That made him think, wow, maybe microwaves could be useful, not just for his government project, but for something else. He started working on the idea, and eventually, he developed the first microwave oven. Was this a case of serendipity? Partly, but I think it was also Spencer.
1: Really, how so?
2: Well, other people had noticed that microwaves could melt things. But Spencer was the one who understood its significance. Why does this story end with the invention of the microwave oven instead of just a melted chocolate bar and a dirty shirt? What was special about Spencer? This can't be the only example of this. I wondered how often this happens.
1: And what did you find out?
2: Some people call it serendipity. But it turns out that it's a bit more than just good luck. People like Spencer think in two very specific ways. First. They notice things that they were not looking for. A lot of us focus on our goals so much that we tune out everything else. For other people, the melted chocolate would just be annoying. But for Spencer, it was the beginning of an idea. Second, they are capable of divergent thinking. What kind of thinking? Divergent. Divergent thinkers consider many potential solutions to a problem.
1: Hmm... I am not sure I follow. Can you give us an example?
2: Sure. If I show you a paper clip and ask you how it can be used, you will probably say, to clip papers together. But a divergent thinker might see lots of other possible functions. For example, to mark a place in a book. Or you could unfold it and use it to punch a hole in something. I see.
1: Are you saying that some people have a special talent for this? It's not serendipity at all.
2: Yes. Some people are more likely to notice things and make interesting and new connections between ideas. They recognize opportunities. In a way, they create serendipity.
1: So, why can't I do this? Can we learn to be better at this kind of thinking?
2: Absolutely. There are lots of exercises you can do to help you notice things and to encourage divergent thinking. The paperclip example is a good place to start. Try to think of as many new uses as you can. I
1: think I get the idea. We can actually increase the possibility of serendipity by changing the way we think?
2: Exactly.
0: Page 48. Exercise F.
1: Listen for details. Segment 1. And welcome back to Conversations. Today's theme, Chance.
2: Actually the show is really about serendipity serendipity right serendipity in other words discovering something or something happening by chance something good that is
1: like the guy who invented the microwave
2: Exactly for the folks who don't know this story back in 1939 a scientist named Percy Spencer was working with microwave technology for a government project one day he noticed that a chocolate bar in his pocket had completely melted. He realized that the microwaves had done it. That made him think, wow, maybe microwaves could be useful, not just for his government project, but for something else. He started working on the idea, and eventually, he developed the first microwave oven. Was this a case of serendipity? Partly. But I think it was also Spencer.
1: Really? How so?
2: Well... Other people had noticed that microwaves could melt things. But Spencer was the one who understood its significance. Why does this story end with the invention of the microwave oven instead of just a melted chocolate bar and a dirty shirt? What was special about Spencer? This can't be the only example of this. I wondered how often this happens.
1: And what did you find out?
0: Page 48. Exercise G. Listen for details. Segment 2.
2: Some people call it serendipity, but it turns out that it's a bit more than just good luck. People like Spencer think in two very specific ways. First, they notice things that they were not looking for. A lot of us focus on our goals so much that we tune out everything else. For other people, the melted chocolate would just be annoying, but for Spencer... It was the beginning of an idea. Second, they are capable of divergent thinking.
1: What kind of thinking?
2: Divergent. Divergent thinkers consider many potential solutions to a problem.
1: Hmm. I am not sure I follow. Can you give us an example?
2: Sure. If I show you a paper clip and ask you how it can be used, you will probably say, to clip papers together. But a divergent thinker might see lots of other possible functions. For example, to mark a place in a book. Or you could unfold it and use it to punch a hole in something. I see.
1: Are you saying that some people have a special talent for this? It's not serendipity at all?
2: Yes. Some people are more likely to notice things and make interesting and new connections between ideas. They recognize opportunities. In a way, they create serendipity.
0: Page 49, Exercise H, Infer Meaning.
2: One. He realized that the microwaves had done it. That made him think, wow, maybe microwaves could be useful, not just for his government project, but for something else. Two. Some people call it serendipity, but it turns out that it's a bit more than just good luck. First, they noticed things that they were not looking for. A lot of us focus on our goals so much that we tune out everything else. 3. Yes, some people are more likely to notice things and make interesting and new connections between ideas. They recognize opportunities. In a way, they create serendipity.
0: Page 51, Exercise J.
1: And welcome back to Conversations. Today's theme, Chance.
2: Actually, the show is really about serendipity.
1: Serendipity?
2: Right, serendipity. Was this a case of serendipity? Partly, but I think it was also Spencer.
1: Really? How so?
2: Well, other people had noticed that microwaves could melt things, but Spencer was the one who understood its significance,
1: What kind of thinking?
2: Divergent. Divergent thinkers consider many potential solutions to a problem.
1: Hmm. I am not sure I follow. Can you give us an example?
2: Sure. But a divergent thinker might see lots of other possible functions. For example, to mark a place in a book. Or you could unfold it and use it to punch a hole in something. I see.
1: Are you saying that some people have a special talent for this? It's not serendipity at all?
2: Yes. Some people are more likely to notice things and make interesting and new connections between ideas.
0: Page 52. Pronunciation skill. Can and can't. Pronounce can with a reduced vowel, uh. It sounds as if there is almost no vowel at all. I can speak English pretty well. Always pronounce can't with a full vowel sound. I can't speak Arabic at all. Page 52, exercise K. One.
2: What was special about Spencer? This can't be the only example of this. I wondered how often this happens. Two.
1: Two. Hmm. I'm not sure I follow. Can you give us an example? 3. So why can't I do this? Can we learn to be better at this kind of thinking?
2: 4. Absolutely. There are lots of exercises you can do to help you notice things and think more creatively. The paperclip example is a good place to start. Try to think of as many new uses as you can. 5.
1: We can actually increase the possibility of serendipity by changing the way we think?
0: Part 2. Page 55. Exercise B.
7: Vocabulary. A. People often feel a sense of shame after they have done something stupid or wrong.
6: B. My commute to work usually takes an hour, even longer if there is a lot of traffic.
7: C. The road is closed for repair, so we have to take a detour.
6: D. An effective team listens to everyone's idea and then tries to come to a consensus.
7: E. Map apps on smartphones were real game changers. Not many people use paper maps anymore.
6: F. There is not enough data to make a definitive conclusion, but we can make a very good guess.
7: G. I could not recall the location of the office, so I used my map app.
6: H. Following a big snowstorm, some motorists were trapped in their cars for hours.
7: I. We interviewed a lot of people about the traffic problems, and, slowly, a solution began to emerge.
6: J. Always taking the quickest route may rob you of the chance to see the beautiful countryside.
0: Unit 4, Part 1, Page 65, Exercise C, Vocabulary.
1: A. The market for sportswear, such as sneakers and exercise clothing, is very strong this year. More people are buying sportswear than last year.
2: B. There is a limited supply of these sneakers. Because of this, most people will have to wait months before they can buy them.
1: C. As more people keep fit, there is greater demand for sports clothing.
2: D. A white t-shirt is a classic example of clothing that always seems to be in style.
1: E. The dominant view among experts is that the business will be successful. However, A few experts believe that it will fail.
2: F. The strong sales of sneakers this year demonstrate their continuing popularity. G.
1: The company releases new styles every year, but the exact dates are always a surprise.
2: H. The primary customers for sportswear are people who play sports. However, other people buy these clothes as fashion accessories.
1: I. There was a profile of the company president in the newspaper. It had information about her background and her business philosophy.
2: J. The high quality and low price of these sneakers explains their widespread popularity. Everyone seems to be wearing them.
0: Page 67,
9: exercise F, listen for main ideas. Okay, guys, we really ought to get started on our presentation. I've started our first slide. I'll bet a lot of people don't realize that sneakers are a $42 billion a year business that's bigger than the economy of some countries. Yeah, you're
10: right. Okay, so I think we should present the sneaker market as a great
9: example of supply and demand. Yes, exactly. It is also a classic example of market controlled by a single company. Nike controls more than 60% of the US sneaker market. They are completely dominant. But the interesting part of the market is at the high-end, the most expensive shoes. I think that should be our focus. Nike releases just a small number of these high-end shoe styles every week or so. Sneakerheads, yeah, that's what they call serious sneaker collectors, are willing to stand in line for hours, even days, to buy them. Since the company limits supply, demand is really strong.
11: It would be a good idea to point out that this is only part of the picture. There are really two separate markets for sneakers. This is the primary market, that is, the first time the shoes are sold, from the company to an individual.
9: Let's talk about the secondary market, too. Nike is even more dominant there. More like 95% of these high-end shoes on the secondary market are Nikes.
11: Right, but I suggest we first explain what the secondary market is. We could say something like, the primary market is when a customer buys a pair of shoes in a store, but some sneakerheads don't like standing in line, so they buy their shoes in the secondary market mainly from the hundreds of internet sneaker sites. The secondary market is mostly sneakerheads selling to other sneakerheads. But they have to pay more, sometimes three to four times more than the store price. People can make a lot of money on the secondary market. It's a $1.2 billion business, and average profit margins are about 30%.
10: I saw a pair of Air Jordans for sale online for almost $1,100. Most of the really expensive ones are connected to celebrities like hip-hop artists or athletes.
11: That's nothing. Some others cost a lot more. Let's show a picture of an expensive pair. And what about a profile of a famous sneakerhead? One guy has more than 3,000 pairs, and his collection is worth $750,000. Wow!
10: I read that some sneakerheads have portfolios of their shoes. We should mention that. They have what? You know, if you buy stocks or even have a bank account, you get a statement that tells you the value of what you own, the value of your portfolio. It's the same thing, just sneakers instead of stocks.
11: That's a great detail. This information demonstrates that sneakers are a serious business, even if not many people know about it.
9: But let's not forget, This isn't just about buying and selling sneakers. I found this quote from a movie called Sneakerheads. There are a handful of things that can define who you are without saying a word. And your shoes are one of them.
11: Excellent. That movie also shows that knowledge of sneakerheads is becoming more widespread. Okay, I think we have a good plan. We should put the quote at the end. How about meeting around 9.15 or 9.30 at my place to finish up?
0: Sounds Sounds good. Good. Page 68. Exercise G. Listen for details.
9: Segment 1. Okay, guys, we really ought to get started on our presentation. I've started our first slide. I'll bet a lot of people don't realize that sneakers are a $42 billion a year business. That's bigger than the economy of some countries. Yeah, you're right.
10: Okay, so I think we should present the sneaker market as a great example of
9: supply and demand. Yes, exactly. It is also a classic example of market controlled by a single company. Nike controls more than 60% of the U.S. sneaker market. They are completely dominant. But the interesting part of the market is at the high end the most expensive shoes. I think that should be our focus. Nike releases just a small number of these high-end shoe styles every week or so. Sneakerheads, yeah, that's what they call serious sneaker collectors, are willing to stand in line for hours, even days to buy them. Since the company limits supply, demand is really strong.
11: It would be a good idea to point out that this is only part of the picture. There are really two separate markets for sneakers. This is the primary market, that is, the first time the shoes are sold, from the company to an individual.
9: Let's talk about the secondary market, too. Nike is even more dominant there. More like 95% of these high-end shoes on the secondary market are Nikes.
11: Right, but I suggest we first explain what the secondary market is. We could say something like... The primary market is when a customer buys a pair of shoes in a store, but some sneakerheads don't like standing in line, so they buy their shoes in the secondary market, mainly from the hundreds of internet sneaker sites. The secondary market is mostly sneakerheads selling to other sneakerheads, but they have to pay more, sometimes three to four times more than the store price. People can make a lot of money on the secondary market. It's a $1.2 billion business and average profit margins are about 30%. Page
0: 68. Exercise H. Listen for details. Segment 2 I saw a pair of Air Jordans
10: for sale online for almost $1,100. Most of the really expensive ones are connected to celebrities like hip-hop artists or athletes.
11: That's nothing. Some others cost a lot more. Let's show a picture of an expensive pair. And what about a profile of a famous sneakerhead? One guy has more than 3,000 pairs, and his collection is worth $750,000.
10: Wow, I read that some sneakerheads have portfolios of their shoes. We should mention that. They have what? You know, if you buy stocks or even have a bank account, you get a statement that tells you the value of what you own, the value of your portfolio. It's the same thing, just sneakers instead of stocks.
11: That's a great detail. This information demonstrates that sneakers are a serious business, even if not many people know about it.
9: But let's not forget, this isn't just about buying and selling sneakers. I found this quote from a movie called Sneakerheads. There are a handful of things that can define who you are without saying a word. And your shoes are one of them.
11: Excellent. That movie also shows that knowledge of sneakerheads is becoming more widespread. Okay, I think we have a good plan. We should put the quote at the end. How about meeting around 9.15 or 9.30 at my place to finish up?
0: Sounds Sounds good. good. Page 70. Exercise L 1.
10: We should present the sneaker market as a great example of supply and demand. 2.
11: What about a profile of a famous sneakerhead? 3. It would be a good idea to point out that this is only part of the picture.
9: 4. Let's talk about the secondary market, too. Five.
11: I suggest we first explain what the secondary market is. Six. How about meeting around 9.15 or 9.30?
0: Page 71. Pronunciation skill. Numbers. One. Pronounce numbers ending in teen with a clear T sound and stress on the teen syllable. Two, pronounce numbers ending in T-Y with a D sound in the T-Y syllable and stress on the first syllable, 40. Three, say numbers between 1,100 and 10,000 in two different ways, 1,100, more formal, 1,100. Less formal, more common. Page 71,
9: exercise N. One. A lot of people don't realize that sneakers are a $42 billion a year business. Two. Nike controls more than 60% of the U.S. sneaker market. Three.
11: Profit margins are about 30%.
10: 4. I saw a pair of Air Jordans for sale online for almost $1,100. 5.
11: How about meeting around 9.15 or 9.30 at my place to finish up?
0: Part 2, page 74. Exercise C. Vocabulary. 1.
7: The 3D printer printed a shirt in separate pieces. She then assembled the pieces.
0: 2.
6: My printer is making a really weird sound. I've never heard it make this noise before.
7: 3. 3D printing is a real breakthrough in the field. It will make a huge difference because it will allow custom work, that is, clothes designed especially for one person. 4.
6: This plastic is very flexible. So, you can change its shape and it will not break.
7: 5. In the past, only professionals designed new styles, but this new software has empowered ordinary people to design their own clothes. 6.
6: We modified the design because the original one was too difficult to print.
7: 7. I only have the older version of this software. The new one will not be released until next month. 8.
6: The price of 3D printers has decreased significantly in the last couple of years.
7: 9. The pace of change has accelerated in recent years. It is difficult to keep up with everything that is happening.
0: 10.
6: This technology will evolve and will continue to improve in the coming years.
0: End of CD1. Unit 5. Part 1. Page 84.
2: Exercise B. Predict. Sharks. Most people are scared of sharks because of their large, sharp teeth. However, it is their skin that may be the most interesting to scientists. Page
0: 85. Exercise C. Vocabulary. 1.
7: There is a layer of thin ice on the top of the lake. It is dangerous to walk on it. 2.
6: This animal catches its food in a unique way. I've never seen anything like it.
7: 3. A bird's feathers have several functions. They keep the bird warm, and they help it to fly. 4.
6: There are thousands of organisms in the world, from tiny bacteria to animals as large as whales.
7: 5. Mathematics has many practical applications in everyday life, for example, in managing your money. 6.
6: There is ice on the ground, so it is very slippery. Be careful and walk slowly.
7: 7. The author adapted the story so that young children could understand it. 8.
6: The screen of the cell phone was protected by a clear plastic film.
7: 9. The scientists needed a powerful microscope to see the complex structure inside the tiny bacteria. 10.
6: When there is no wind, the surface of the water is smooth.
0: Page 86. Exercise E. Listen for main ideas. Sharks
2: Most people are scared of sharks because of their large, sharp teeth. However, it is their skin that may be the most interesting to scientists. Scientists and engineers can learn a lot from nature. They can use designs and structures from nature to create something new. This week on Science Today, we are going to look at biomimicry how scientists and engineers are adapting the surfaces of plants and animals for new purposes. Right, so what do I mean by surfaces? Well, your skin is a natural surface, a layer that covers your whole body. Each plant and animal has a unique surface that performs some function that is important for the organism. Scientists and engineers have studied these functions and have been able to adapt some of them for human use. So, let's start with the shark. The shark's skin has a unique structure. It is covered with a layer of tiny scales in the shape of a diamond. This layer has a very important purpose. Scientists noticed that nothing seemed to grow on shark's skin. In contrast, all sorts of organisms grow on the skin of other fish and of whales, including harmful bacteria. However. The unique arrangement of scales on the shark's skin prevents the growth of any organisms. Scientists quickly realized this could have very useful applications, for example, in hospitals. Because there are many sick people in hospitals, dangerous bacteria can spread and begin to grow on walls, doors, and other surfaces. Engineers adapted the structure of shark skin and created a thin film that can be used on walls, floors, and other surfaces. The film helps prevent the growth of bacteria. Now, let's move to the world of plants. Most plants use air, water, and sunlight to make their own food. But some plants, like the pitcher plant, eat insects. How can a plant catch an insect? The pitcher plant has a secret weapon, the surface at the top of its pitcher. When it is dry, the surface is a little bit rough so insects can walk on it safely. However, when it is wet, it becomes very slippery so the insects slip down the sides and fall into the pitcher. The liquid at the bottom quickly kills them. This activity caught the attention of scientists They studied the pitcher plant's surface and discovered that, like the shark's skin, it was unique. They adapted its structure for a product with a similar purpose. They created a thin film that can make any surface very slippery. Nothing will stick to this film. Water, ice, oil, paint, everything slips right off. Just think of all the uses this could have. So, these are just two examples of biomimicry and how scientists and engineers can adapt designs from nature to improve our lives. We will be back after a short break to talk about some more examples of applications like these.
0: Page 87, Exercise G Segment 1
2: Sharks Most people are scared of sharks because of their large, sharp teeth. However, it is their skin that may be the most interesting to scientists. Scientists and engineers can learn a lot from nature. They can use designs and structures from nature to create something new. This week on Science Today, we are going to look at biomimicry how scientists and engineers are adapting the surfaces of plants and animals for new purposes. Right, so what do I mean by surfaces? Well, your skin is a natural surface, a layer that covers your whole body. Each plant and animal has a unique surface that performs some function that is important for the organism. Scientists and engineers have studied these functions, and have been able to adapt some of them for human use. So, let's start with the shark. The shark's skin has a unique structure. It is covered with a layer of tiny scales in the shape of a diamond. This layer has a very important purpose. Scientists noticed that nothing seemed to grow on shark's skin. In contrast, all sorts of organisms grow on the skin of other fish and of whales, including harmful bacteria. However, The unique arrangement of scales on the shark's skin prevents the growth of any organisms. Scientists quickly realized this could have very useful applications, for example, in hospitals. Because there are many sick people in hospitals, dangerous bacteria can spread and begin to grow on walls, doors, and other surfaces. Engineers adapted the structure of shark skin and created a thin film that can be used on walls, floors, and other surfaces. The film helps prevent the growth of bacteria.
0: Page 88, Exercise H, Listen for Details. Segment one.
2: Sharks. Most people are scared of sharks because of their large, sharp teeth. However, it is their skin that may be the most interesting to scientists. Scientists and engineers can learn a lot from nature. They can use designs and structures from nature to create something new. This week on Science Today, we are going to look at biomimicry, how scientists and engineers are adapting the surfaces of plants and animals for new purposes. Right. So, what do I mean by surfaces? Well, your skin is a natural surface, a layer that covers your whole body. Each plant and animal has a unique surface that performs some function that is important for the organism. Scientists and engineers have studied these functions and have been able to adapt some of them for human use. So, let's start with the shark. The shark's skin has a unique structure. It is covered with a layer of tiny scales in the shape of a diamond. This layer has a very important purpose. Scientists noticed that nothing seemed to grow on shark's skin. In contrast, all sorts of organisms grow on the skin of other fish and of whales, including harmful bacteria. However, the unique arrangement of scales on the shark's skin prevents the growth of any organisms. Scientists quickly realized this could have very useful applications, for example, in hospitals. Because there are many sick people in hospitals, dangerous bacteria can spread and begin to grow on walls, doors, and other surfaces. Engineers adapted the structure of shark skin and created a thin film that can be used on walls, floors, and other surfaces. The film helps prevent the growth of bacteria.
0: Segment 2
2: Now, let's move to the world of plants. Most plants use air, water, and sunlight to make their own food. But some plants, like the pitcher plant, eat insects. How can a plant catch an insect? The pitcher plant has a secret weapon. The surface at the top of its pitcher. When it is dry, the surface is a little bit rough, so insects can walk on it safely. However, when it is wet, it becomes very slippery, so the insects slip down the sides and fall into the pitcher. The liquid at the bottom quickly kills them. This activity caught the attention of scientists. They studied the pitcher plant's surface and discovered that, like the shark's skin, it was unique. They adapted its structure for a product with a similar purpose. They created a thin film that can make any surface very slippery. Nothing will stick to this film. Water, ice, oil, paint, everything slips right off. Just think of all the uses this could have. So, these are just two examples of biomimicry and how scientists and engineers can adapt designs from nature to improve our lives. We will be back after a short break to talk about some more examples of applications like these. Page
0: 91. Pronunciation Skill. Linking Sounds.
2: People are scared of, because of, shark skin. Most people are scared of sharks because of their large, sharp teeth.
0: Page 91. Exercise L.
2: The shark skin has a unique structure. It is covered with a layer of tiny scales in the shape of a diamond.
0: Part 2. Page 94. Exercise C. Vocabulary.
4: A. The robots used electricity that is stored in small batteries.
3: B. You need to use rigid building material. If you use something soft, the structure cannot stand.
4: C. We need to inspect every part of the machine to make sure it is safe to operate.
3: D. Adding more legs improved the robot's mobility. It can now move faster and more easily.
4: E. We made a model of the robot on a small scale before we started building the full-size version.
3: F. The robot has a mechanism that makes it jump really high.
4: G. When the robot's main light switched on, it gave off a flash of light.
3: H. Ants have the capability of carrying something that weighs more than they do.
4: I. If you put too many heavy things on one side of the cart, it will tip over.
3: J. This machine is very robust. It works even in difficult conditions. Unit six, part
0: one, page 105, exercise B, vocabulary.
7: A, this medicine is not making the patient better. We need to find one that is more effective.
6: B, people do not earn a lot of money in Uganda. The average income is less than $500 a year.
7: C. This test is a measure of how well the students have learned the material.
6: D. We bought the building for $30,000 and sold it for $45,000, so we made a 50% profit.
7: E. Many people lost their homes in the earthquake. Several organizations are providing aid to these families.
6: F. World Bank records show that almost 13% of the world's population earned less than $2 a day in 2012.
7: G. He is trying to become financially independent. He does not want to rely on his family for money.
6: H. When you borrow money from the bank... You have to pay it back with interest, an added fee for borrowing the money.
7: I. Many young adults depend on their parents until they can find a job.
6: J. He asked his friends to invest money in his new business. Now that the business is successful, he has paid them back.
0: Page 106. Exercise D. Listen for Main Ideas. Segment 1
1: Today I want to introduce you to some people who live in Gulu in Uganda. Uganda is in East Africa. We'll learn how they have worked their way out of poverty. So, this girl's family was able to buy this goat. The goat's milk helps feed her family. Any extra milk brings in money for the family. And this woman owns a farm. She was able to expand her farm and grow vegetables to sell at the local market. With that money, she can send her children to school. Both of these families got help from an organization called the Community Action Fund for Women in Africa, CAFWA which helps women work toward a better future. Kafwa is based in the Gulu district in northern Uganda. Gulu is one of the poorest regions in the world. More than 50% of the population of Gulu lives below the international poverty line. More than half of them depend on farming. So what kind of help did these families get? They got microloans from CAFOA. A microloan is different from a regular bank loan. First of all, the amounts are very low, usually between $50 and $100. Second, the borrowers don't need any collateral. What's collateral? Well, when you borrow money to buy a house, for example, if you don't pay back the loan, The bank will take your house. The house is your collateral. The people in Gulu are unable to provide collateral. Finally, the interest on a microloan is low enough that most borrowers can pay back the loan, usually between 10 and 30 percent. Before they got the loans, the women in Gulu barely made enough to feed their families. They were in a cycle of poverty. After the microloans, they were able to invest in their farms and sell their products for a profit. With part of the profit, they paid back the loan.
0: Segment 2
1: Do any of you know anything about microloans? Elena?
11: Yes. I have given money to organizations that make microloans. I think they are the most effective way to
1: help poor people okay but what is the evidence do microloans really work that depends on what your measure is there is some evidence of success first records show that borrowers almost always pay back the loans about 95 percent in addition Studies by researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology show that microloans help one group the most – people who already own a small business. What do you think? Would you donate to a microloan? Fuad?
9: No, I wouldn't, because I don't believe such small amounts of money can make much of a difference for most people.
1: Well, you are right. These studies showed that the loans resulted in no change in the usual measures of poverty, such as income, health, and education level. There is another way to look at the situation, though. Although economic experts do say that people in poverty often remain poor after they take out a microloan, the same experts also argue that loans allow these families to become more financially stable. This is also a measure of success, so you can see that the record is not so clear. However, the women of GULU have been successful, so what can explain this success? The answer is that a loan may not be enough. These women got more than just a microloan from CAFWA. The organization taught them about good farming practices. It offered classes in math and reading and it taught them how to keep good business records and save money for the future. Research on aid suggests that this kind of support increases the chance that microloans will help people break the cycle of poverty. Not just the borrower, but the borrower's family, and perhaps a whole community.
0: Page 107. Exercise E. Listen for details. Segment 1
1: Today I want to introduce you to some people who live in Gulu in Uganda. Uganda is in East Africa. We'll learn how they have worked their way out of poverty. So, this girl's family was able to buy this goat. The goat's milk helps feed her family. Any extra milk brings in money for the family. And this woman owns a farm. She was able to expand her farm and grow vegetables to sell at the local market. With that money, she can send her children to school. Both of these families got help from an organization called the Community Action Fund for Women in Africa, CAFWA which helps women work toward a better future. Kafwa is based in the Gulu district in northern Uganda. Gulu is one of the poorest regions in the world. More than 50% of the population of Gulu lives below the international poverty line. More than half of them depend on farming. So what kind of help did these families get? They got micro-loans from CAFOA. A micro-loan is different from a regular bank loan. First of all, the amounts are very low, usually between $50 and $100. Second, the borrowers don't need any collateral. What's collateral? Well, when you borrow money to buy a house, for example, if you don't pay back the loan, The bank will take your house. The house is your collateral. The people in Gulu are unable to provide collateral. Finally, the interest on a microloan is low enough that most borrowers can pay back the loan, usually between 10 and 30 percent. Before they got the loans, the women in Gulu barely made enough to feed their families. They were in a cycle of poverty. After the microloans, they were able to invest in their farms and sell their products for a profit. With part of the profit, they paid back the loan.
0: Page 108. Exercise F. Segment 2.
1: Do any of you know anything about microloans?
11: Elena. Yes. I have given money to organizations that make microloans. I think they are the most effective way to help
1: poor people. Okay, but what is the evidence? Do microloans really work? That depends on what your measure is. There is some evidence of success. First, records show that borrowers almost always pay back the loans, about 95%. In addition... Studies by researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology show that microloans help one group the most, people who already own a small business. What do you think? Would you donate to a microloan? Fuat,
9: No, I wouldn't, because I don't believe such small amounts of money can make much of a difference for most people.
1: Well, you are right. These studies showed that the loans resulted in no change in the usual measures of poverty, such as income, health, and education level. There is another way to look at the situation, though. Although economic experts do say that people in poverty often remain poor after they take out a microloan, the same experts also argue that loans allow these families to become more financially stable. This is also a measure of success, so you can see that the record is not so clear. However, the women of Gulu have been successful, so what can explain this success? The answer is that a loan may not be enough. These women got more than just a microloan from CAFWA. The organization taught them about good farming practices. It offered classes in math and reading and it taught them how to keep good business records and save money for the future. Research on aid suggests that this kind of support increases the chance that microloans will help people break the cycle of poverty, not just the borrower, but the borrower's family, and perhaps a whole community.
0: Page 112, Exercise L.
1: So, what kind of help did these families get? They got microloans from CAFWA. A microloan is different from a regular bank loan. First of all, the amounts are very low, usually between 50 and $100. Page 112.
0: Exercise M.
1: Second. The borrowers don't need any collateral. When you borrow money to buy a house, for example, if you don't pay back the loan, the bank will take your house. The house is your collateral. The people in Gulu are too poor to provide collateral. Finally, the interest on a microloan is low enough that most borrowers can pay back the loan, usually between 10 and 30%. Before they got the loans, the women in Gulu barely made enough to feed their families. They were in a cycle of poverty.
0: Part 2, page 114. Exercise B. Vocabulary. 1.
4: I believe that aid agencies are very effective, but many people believe otherwise.
3: 2. The family does not own their home, their farm, or a car. Their only asset is a bicycle. 3.
4: I am not sure, but I suspect that this problem will take a long time to solve.
3: 4. The two politicians did not want to meet in public, so they passed a message through an intermediary. 5.
4: There are a range of solutions to this problem, from cheap ones to very expensive ones.
3: 6. The transfer of money from her bank to the aid agency took almost a week. 7.
4: There is an assumption that donating to aid agencies is the best way to help people in poverty.
3: 8. I think that we should reconsider our original idea now that we know more about the situation. 9.
4: Phone companies usually add taxes and other fees for using a cell phone.
3: 10. Many organizations are trying to figure out the most effective way to fight poverty.
0: Unit 7, Part 1, Page
3: 124, Exercise B, Collaborate. Today we're going to discuss the idea that the number of choices people have, for example, when shopping in a store or online, impacts their happiness. Are people happier with more choices? Are they happier with fewer choices? Luz, do you have a question?
11: Yes. Aren't more choices always better? Everyone likes options.
3: Do they? Would you prefer this menu or this one? Yuichi, do you think more choices are better?
10: Not really. I was going to buy an electric toothbrush online last night, and there were hundreds of different options to choose from.
3: Wow. So did you buy one?
10: No. All those choices were too overwhelming.
3: Well, that is a great example related to the research we're going to look at today. In 2004, a psychologist named Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice about these ideas. Schwartz provides evidence that in many societies that have a lot of money and freedom to choose where to live, how to live, what to buy, people say they are less happy and less satisfied with their lives.
11: So, are you saying that people are less happy overall because they have more choices?
3: Yes, that's the paradox. More choices mean less happiness. Page
0: 125. Exercise C. Vocabulary
4: A. Social media can impact the success of a business. If many people give positive reviews to a product, others are likely to want to buy it.
3: B. Scientific research suggests that people become unhappy if they have too many choices.
4: C. If you are aware of your behavior, you may be able to change it.
3: D. There are just three options at this restaurant. Fried chicken, grilled fish, or a veggie burger.
4: E. Psychologists are studying how people react to different kinds of advertisements.
3: F. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of the help you have given us on this project.
4: G. Our sales figures have been increasing every month. They are strong evidence of the product's popularity.
3: H. Are you satisfied with your new apartment? Is it big enough?
4: I. An accountant must be a perfectionist. Mistakes are not allowed.
3: J. There are so many choices on the menu. It's so overwhelming that I cannot decide.
0: Page 126.
3: Exercise E. Listen for Main Ideas Today we're going to discuss the idea that the number of choices people have, for example, when shopping in a store or online, impacts their happiness. Are people happier with more choices? Are they happier with fewer choices? Lose. do you have a question?
11: Yes. Aren't more choices always better? Everyone likes options.
3: Do they? Would you prefer this menu or this one? Yuichi, do you think more choices are better?
10: Not really. I was going to buy an electric toothbrush online last night, and there were hundreds of different options to choose from.
3: Wow. So did you buy one?
10: No. All those choices were too overwhelming.
3: Well, that is a great example related to the research we're going to look at today. In 2004, A psychologist named Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice about these ideas. Schwartz provides evidence that in many societies that have a lot of money and freedom to choose where to live, how to live, what to buy, people say they are less happy and less satisfied with their lives.
11: So are you saying that people are less happy overall because they have more choices?
3: Yes, that's the paradox. More choices mean less happiness. We're going to look at how choice impacts individuals. We'll look at two types of personalities that Schwartz talks about in his book, Maximizers and Satisficers. These terms are probably unfamiliar to you. So, what do they mean? Well, let's start with Maximizers. Does anyone here have trouble making a decision when, say, you are at a restaurant or in a store? I'll bet some of you do. Some people worry a lot about which meal to order or which shoes to wear with an outfit. They want to be absolutely sure to have the best. They are perfectionists, or what Schwartz calls maximizers. The second personality we could call Mr. or Ms. good enough. People like this don't need perfection. They are satisfied with things that are pretty good, sure, they want to look nice or have a good meal, but they feel that the difference among many of their choices is not that great. They usually make decisions more quickly than maximizers. Schwartz calls these people satisficers. They appreciate good quality, but they are not too worried about every detail. They are not perfectionists. Sound familiar? Maybe some of you are satisficers. So, do you think that maximizers or satisficers, might have more difficulty when faced with lots of choices. Well, the perfectionist, right? The maximizer? Yes, that's right. Schwartz believes that maximizers are likely to have trouble getting things done, have increased levels of stress, and therefore are likely to be less happy. They have a greater risk for becoming depressed. Satisficers, in contrast, are more likely to be, well, satisfied with their lives. So, what can you do if you are a maximizer? First, just be aware of it. Sometimes, just being aware of your personality type can make life easier. Perhaps you can think differently in certain situations. Second, understand that this quality can also be very useful. There are many professions that require perfection. Do you want your doctor or surgeon to be Mr. or Ms. Good Enough? Or how about designers of space shuttles or airplanes? Last, do something to reduce your stress level. Exercise, meditate, or just do something you enjoy. Any questions?
0: Page 127, Exercise F. Listen for details. Segment 1.
3: Today we're going to discuss the idea that the number of choices people have for example, when shopping in a store or online, impacts their happiness. Are people happier with more choices? Are they happier with fewer choices? Luz, do you have a question?
11: Yes. Aren't more choices always better? Everyone likes options.
3: Do they? Would you prefer this menu or this one? Yuichi, do you think more choices are better?
10: Not really. I was going to buy an electric toothbrush online last night. And there were hundreds of different options to choose from.
3: Wow. So did you buy one?
10: No. All those choices were too overwhelming.
3: Well, that is a great example related to the research we're going to look at today. In 2004, a psychologist named Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice about these ideas. Schwartz provides evidence that in many societies that have a lot of money and freedom to choose where to live, how to live, what to buy, people say they are less happy and less satisfied with their lives.
11: So are you saying that people are less happy overall because they have more choices?
3: Yes, that's the paradox. More choices mean less happiness.
0: Segment 2
3: We're going to look at how choice impacts individuals. We'll look at two types of personalities that Schwartz talks about in his book. Maximizers and Satisficers These terms are probably unfamiliar to you. So, what do they mean? Well, let's start with maximizers. Does anyone here have trouble making a decision when, say, you're at a restaurant or in a store? I'll bet some of you do. Some people worry a lot about which meal to order or which shoes to wear with an outfit. They want to be absolutely sure to have the best. They are perfectionists, or what Schwartz calls, maximizers. The second personality we could call Mr. or Ms. good enough. People like this don't need perfection. They are satisfied with things that are pretty good. Sure, they want to look nice or have a good meal, but they feel that the difference among many of their choices is not that great. They usually make decisions more quickly than maximizers. Schwartz calls these people satisficers. They appreciate good quality, but they are not too worried about every detail. They are not perfectionists. Sound familiar? Maybe some of you are satisficers. So, do you think that maximizers or satisficers might have more difficulty when faced with lots of choices? Well, the perfectionist, right? The maximizer? Yes, that's right. Schwartz believes that maximizers are likely to have trouble getting things done, have increased levels of stress, and, therefore, are likely to be less happy. They have a greater risk for becoming depressed. Satisficers, in contrast, are more likely to be, well, satisfied with their lives.
0: Page 128. Exercise G.
3: 1.
11: So, are you saying that people are less happy overall because they have more choices?
3: Yes, that's the paradox. More choices mean less happiness. 2. These terms are probably unfamiliar to you. So, what do they mean? Well, let's start with maximizers. 3. Does anyone here have trouble making a decision when, say, you are at a restaurant or in a store? I'll bet some of you do. Page
0: 130. Exercise K. Segment 3.
3: So, what can you do if you are a maximizer? First, just be aware of it. Sometimes, just being aware of your personality type can make life easier. Perhaps you can think differently in certain situations. Second, Understand that this quality can also be very useful. There are many professions that require perfection. Do you want your doctor or surgeon to be Mr. or Ms. good enough? Or how about designers of space shuttles or airplanes? Last, do something to reduce your stress level. Exercise, meditate, or just do something you enjoy. Any questions? Page
0: 131. Pronunciation skill. Intonation in yes, no, and choice questions.
7: Would you like coffee?
6: Are you happier with more choices?
0: Page 131. Pronunciation skill. Intonation in yes, no, and choice questions.
7: Would you like coffee or tea?
0: Page 131,
3: Exercise M. 1. Lose, do you have a question? 2.
5: Aren't
11: more choices always better?
3: 3. Would you prefer this menu or this one? 4. Yuichi, do you think more choices are better? 5. So did you buy one?
0: Part 2, page 134, Exercise C, Vocabulary
1: A. This appliance saves space because it combines the functions of a microwave and traditional oven.
2: B. Only pack what you will need during the trip. Don't include any extraneous items.
1: C. To make more space in my room, I'm going to digitize my CDs and photos.
2: D. I got a loan from my large and expensive house. I lost my job, so now I'm worried about repaying this debt.
1: E. My closet is so full. I have too much stuff.
2: F. This space is multifunctional. I use it as a garage and a music studio.
1: G. The majority of Americans, about 60%, own their own homes.
2: H. Coincidentally, I got a job offer on the same day that I found my apartment.
1: I. If you live in a small apartment, you have to think about space efficiency.
2: J. My new apartment does not have a lot of storage space, so I left a lot of my books at my parents' house.
0: Unit 8. Part 1. Page 145. Exercise C. Vocabulary.
4: A. Protecting wildlife is crucial. If we do not, some animals will disappear forever.
3: B. The effect of trafficking on some tropical birds has been devastating. There are only a few of these birds left today. C.
4: Some species of birds look very similar, so it is difficult to detect differences between them.
3: D. This new technology has the potential to find traffickers. However, it has not been fully tested yet.
4: E. The police seized a truck that was carrying hundreds of wild birds They arrested the driver and took the birds away.
3: F. Buying and selling most wild animals is illegal. If the police catch you, you may go to jail. G.
4: Scientists and government officials are working together to maintain biodiversity, the number and variety of species that live in the country.
3: H. Governments should work together to combat climate change before it's too late.
4: I. Many species of animals, such as orangutans, are disappearing because humans have destroyed their habitat. Now they have nowhere to live.
3: J. Wildlife trafficking continues because consumers want these animals for pets.
0: Page 147. Exercise F. Listen for Main Ideas...
1: Conservation biologist Juliana Machado Ferreira is on the front lines in the fight against wildlife trafficking in her home country of Brazil. The South American country has seen a rise in the illegal sale of various species of wildlife. National Geographic Learning talked with Ferreira about her work protecting Brazil's wild animals. What is wildlife
12: trafficking? There are several different kinds of trafficking. There is trade in animal parts and products. These are used for souvenirs or fashion accessories, cosmetics and drugs. There is also the trade in animals for zoos and private collectors. And finally, there is trafficking of live wild animals for pets. Can you
1: describe the market for wild animals as pets in Brazil? How big is it? Which animals are the most popular?
12: The government does not have a figure for the entire illegal wildlife trade. But just to give you an idea, the government seized more than 30,000 live animals just in the state of Sao Paulo in 2006. Birds are by far the most popular wild animals for pets in Brazil. Hundreds of thousands of wild birds are sold annually in street markets in Brazil.
1: What are the consequences of this type of wildlife trafficking?
12: If the current level of wildlife trafficking continues, some of these species may soon become extinct. The disappearance of these species has consequences not only for entire ecosystems, but also to human quality of life. It's important to protect and maintain biodiversity.
1: What happens to the animals when the police find them?
12: Many people think that when police find these animals, that the problem is solved. But that's just the beginning. Then the real problems begin. If the police see the animals being collected, then the animals can be released immediately. But if the animals are already far away from their original habitat, they cannot be released so easily.
1: Why not? Why is it important to release animals in their original habitat?
12: Brazil is a huge country. One species may exist in many different areas with a wide range of climate conditions, such as temperature and rainfall. Each population has adapted to these specific conditions. There are also genetic differences across the populations. If animals from one region are released in a different environment, they may not be able to cope with these different conditions. This process is very complicated and expensive. How do you hope your work will help with this problem? My work is aimed at developing scientific techniques to combat traffickers more effectively. Using genetic markers, we have the potential to identify the origins of the birds seized by police, but the research is still in an early stage. We need to collect enough data to detect differences among the bird populations. If we can do that, we may be able to use these techniques to return healthy birds to a spot in the wild where they have the best chance of survival. What message do you want to get out to the public about this issue? Most people have no idea that buying a parrot can have a devastating impact on nature and support a whole system of illegal activities. That's why educating consumers is crucial. Often, just giving them facts changes minds and behavior The message is that these wild species are not pets for your amusement. They belong in the wild. Page
0: 147. Exercise G. Listen for details. Segment 1.
1: Conservation biologist Juliana Machado Ferreira is on the front lines in the fight against wildlife trafficking in her home country of Brazil. The South American country has seen a rise in the illegal sale of various species of wildlife. National Geographic Learning talked with Ferreira about her work protecting Brazil's wild animals. What is wildlife trafficking?
12: There are several different kinds of trafficking. There is trade in animal parts and products. These are used for souvenirs or fashion accessories, cosmetics and drugs. There is also the trade in animals for zoos and private collectors. And finally, there is trafficking of live wild animals for pets.
1: Can you describe the market for wild animals as pets in Brazil? How big is it? Which animals are the most popular?
12: The government does not have a figure for the entire illegal wildlife trade. But just to give you an idea, the government seized more than 30,000 live animals just in the state of Sao Paulo in 2006. Birds are by far the most popular wild animals for pets in Brazil. Hundreds of thousands of wild birds are sold annually in street markets in Brazil.
1: What are the consequences of this type of wildlife trafficking?
12: If the current level of wildlife trafficking continues, some of these species may soon become extinct. The disappearance of these species has consequences not only for entire ecosystems, but also to human quality of life. It's important to protect and maintain biodiversity.
0: Page 148. Exercise H. Listen for details.
12: Segment 2.
1: What happens to the animals when the police find them?
12: Many people think that when police find these animals, that the problem is solved. But that's just the beginning. Then the real problems begin. If the police see the animals being collected, then the animals can be released immediately. But if the animals are already far away from their original habitat, they cannot be released so easily. Why not?
1: Why is it important to release animals in their original habitat?
12: Brazil is a huge country. One species may exist in many different areas with a wide range of climate conditions, such as temperature and rainfall. Each population has adapted to these specific conditions. There are also genetic differences across the populations. If animals from one region are released in a different environment, they may not be able to cope with these different conditions. This process is very complicated and expensive. How do you hope your work will help with this problem? My work is aimed at developing scientific techniques to combat traffickers more effectively. Using genetic markers, we have the potential to identify the origins of the birds seized by police, but the research is still in an early stage. We need to collect enough data to detect differences among the bird populations. If we can do that, we may be able to use these techniques to return healthy birds to a spot in the wild where they have the best chance of survival. What message do you want to get out to the public about this issue? Most people have no idea that buying a parrot can have a devastating impact on nature and support a whole system of illegal activities. That's why educating consumers is crucial. Often, just giving them facts, changes, minds and behavior. The message is that these wild species are not pets for your amusement. They belong in the wild.
0: Page 152. Pronunciation skill. Intonation in WH questions.
4: How can we stop wildlife
0: trafficking? Page 152. Pronunciation skill. Intonation in WH questions.
3: Why not? Why?
0: Page 152. Exercise N. 1.
4: Can you describe the market for wild animals as pets in Brazil? How big is it?
3: 2. Which animals are the most popular? 3.
4: Why not? Why is it important to release animals in their original habitat?
0: Page 152, Exercise
3: O. 1. What is wildlife trafficking? 2.
4: What are the consequences of this type of wildlife trafficking?
3: 3. What happens to the animals when the police find them? 4.
4: Why not? Why is it important to release animals in their original habitat?
3: 5. What message do you want to get out to the public about this issue?
0: Part 2. Page 154. Exercise B. Vocabulary.
7: A. Hidden cameras can capture images of the animals in their natural habitat.
6: B. The habitats of many wild animals are contracting because humans need more living space.
7: C. The objective of the new law is to reduce wildlife trafficking.
6: D. Conservationists in Nepal have acquired a drone. It is a new model so they will test it before they fly it over the jungle.
7: E. New technology has made it easier to monitor wildlife populations from far away.
6: F. Some of the rarest species live in remote areas of the jungle where it is hard to reach them.
7: G. Poaching, the illegal hunting of wild animals, is one of the biggest threats to larger animals such as rhinos.
6: H. Scientists plan to survey the elephant population of the entire continent. They will publish the results next year.
7: I. It is easier to find money for the protection of animals that are considered attractive, such as panda bears and chimpanzees, than for animals that may be less appealing, such as fish and frogs.
6: J. The camera on the drone focuses automatically. The scientists do not need to control it.
0: End of CD2